Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? On deck today, we got Earl Grant, head coach of the College of Charleston basketball team. Um, in this segment, we talk about Earl Grant's coming up as a young player uh, through Star High School and then going off junior college and um, uh, eventually being the head coach of the College of Charleston basketball team. Um, we also talked about um, how you look at student athletes, preparation for game, game day, game practices, and the philosophy of sports as a whole. So tune in. Let's hear all about it. Uh, Earl Grant, coming right at you. I ain't going to take up too many time. I just, you know, appreciate you, you know, coming on. This is my, um, you know, I'm doing my day TV for the last five, six years where I interview, you know, local, you know, business and sports and, you know, coaches and whatnot. So now we going into the more the podcast um, yeah. era and um, actually my first guest from a podcast. So I appreciate you and appreciate your time getting, you know, coming on, man. Yeah. Um, first, I, I want to start about, you know, talking a little bit about you. I know most interviews you do is all about sports, all about the team. So a lot of people don't know, you know, Earl Grant, you know what I mean? The North Charleston, the North Charleston star. And um, before we get into it, you know, I, I tell a story that, you know, you were a little younger than me coming up, but when you look at players and you look at their attributes and what they do, <clears throat> I look back like you were, you were a solid point guard, a mindful point guard. You take care of the ball. And your number one move, your bread and butter move, is what's not in today's game right now, and that's that mid-range pull-up jumper. You know what I mean? Like you were great. Yeah, yeah. You were great at matriculating your way, finding your sweet spot and pulling up on that sweet dime. You know what I mean? That was, that was your, and you walk on your toes. Like you, you were that player that the young, your older cats be like, yo, he's going to be something coming up. So just let you know, you always was in the, as in the, was in the conversation. We talk about younger players coming up. Yep. And that's giving me a segue into our first topic about parks and rivals. Um, talk about the parks and the rivals and, you know, who are your rivalry and the parks you played on that gives you that, gave you that, 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 um, that grit and tenacity that needed to, to proceed to, to play the next level. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things jump out to me. Um, you know, obviously, um, it's a lost art, the mid range pull up. And I know analytics has gotten really involved and a lot of coaches teaching, uh, either shoot a three or shoot a layup, stay away from the pull up, stay away from the long two. Uh, but I think some of the greatest guards that play the game, they, they shoot the mid-range jumper. Correct. But, you know, in terms of parks and rivals, man, I, I um, a name that jumped out to me is Dallas Jackson, uh, Reverend Dallas Jackson. It was a guy downtown. Dallas Wilson. Yeah. What's his name? Dallas Wilson. Dallas Wilson, yeah, who was very instrumental in getting different guys off to prep school and making sure they had 
uh, the resources they needed. I think it was connected through Midnight Basketball League. Right. Um, but I remember the Midnight Basketball League, there being challenges, you know, um, all the great players in the city coming out to play in that tournament uh, right there on the east side. Correct. And, uh, you know, that's where I met uh, Greg Marshall. Uh, you know, I was probably 16 years old out on that park. You know, he, he and his wife, Lynn, uh, you know, a lot of battles was out there, all the good players in the city. And then, you know, Danny Jones over in North Charleston um, was a place, and they got a new rec center now in North Charleston, unbelievable rec center that they built. I haven't been there. I heard about it. I haven't, haven't yeah. visited it yet, though. And Ed Barfield, you know, who was over Parks and Recreation, he's the guy now that's, uh, his name is on the on the wall in that building. That was my first recreation coach, you know, yep. back in the day. Uh, but just, you know, I was one of those guys I wanted to find anywhere you could find a game. And that's where I think this generation we have now, I'm worried about a little bit. And, and I was telling my sons, I feel like the phones and the video games are stealing some of their lives from them. Totally. Because we typically, we were just finding a place to go compete. And whether that was uh, down at College of Charleston, coming to the Johnson Center, whether that was the city gym, whether that was Eastside, you know, Northwoods Gym, Danny Jones, uh, you know, the uh, one of the armories. Uh, right. We had Sterrett Hall over there off of School Avenue. Like, at the end of the day, wherever there was a good run, that's where I wanted to be. And so I think we learned to compete that way. And we're there all day. You know what I mean? Yeah, all, all day. day. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a way until first coming from the parks and, and you know, building your – Building your names coming from the parks, coming from middle school, then going to the high school, you attended North Charleston. Talk about those years and um, and your high school years and and the recruiting wars. Talk about give us a, a look back at those time where that freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, you know, wanting to get a college uh, a scholarship. Um, you went to Georgia College. Talk about those recruiting wars in those years at North Charleston. Yeah, you know, uh, I grew up in North Charleston, and I was supposed to go to North Charleston, but obviously my mom pushed me up the stall. Right. And uh, she pushed that's me up the stall. Oh, yeah, oh, that's yeah. what you meant to say. Yeah, but she yeah. pushed me up the stall, uh, you know, to separate me a little bit from the neighborhood, um, you know, get me away from walking to school, you know, taking me to the bus stop on 10 Mile Hill where I had to catch the bus to school. And so I didn't know what she was doing back then, but she had, she was strategic uh, with that. Um, and so all my, all my neighbors, they went to North Charleston. Right. So, and I went to Stahl. So, you know, I think that uh, high school was very, very, you know, formative for me in terms of the competitive nature. Uh, I learned a lot from Anthony Johnson. You know, I mean, I was a eighth grader when he was a senior uh, in high school. Him and Akia Anderson and some of those other guys that were really good players there. Right. So uh, in eighth grade, their football team made it to the state championship game and played Daniel uh, at William Bryce Stadium in Columbia. And I was an eighth grader. They had to move me up for varsity for five games at the beginning of the season. And so and I remember I came back uh, when all those players came back from the football field. I played eighth grade. I played ninth grade. I would play JV and varsity. Um, and so I learned, I learned a lot from, uh, you know, being around Anthony and the Kia Addison. I think the Kia went to Air Force Academy to play football. football. Yeah, Anthony went to the College of Charleston, and so, but them guys taught me how to compete, and right. uh, and so it was nice seeing that as a young kid, and then they graduated, and I was a freshman, and I had four years to, to really work and build. But I was fortunate to have a good coach, um, 
you know, Kim Deese, who has studied a little bit under John Cress and studied a little bit as an assistant at uh, Presbyterian College. And so he was a, he was hard on us. Uh, he was, uh, you know, very, di- uh, very hard in terms of the disciplinary uh, mindset. And then he also was a good basketball coach. You know, we would run some of the set plays that, that Cress, you know, believed, you know, against the zone. We see a one, three, one zone. We might run Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, law play. You know, we see uh man to man. We might run 24 Russell Wright, you know, and so mm-hmm. at the time I didn't realize what was going on, but right. he was a good basketball coach. Uh, you know, he was pretty hard on us about our academics. And so uh, I think being at stall, you know, being around those competitive guys uh, and then having a coach like Kim Deese really prepared me to go to college. But I went to junior college first. I went to Spartanburg Methodist. Uh, and then I was fortunate to, to get a full scholarship at Georgia College. And, and I'll never trade that for anything. You know, the friendships and the coaches, all of the relationships I developed over those years, man, is just relationships I still have now 20 years later. Right. At first, Andrew would be like, I don't know if I want to go when he first started um, the first couple times because it was hard. And now, after seven months, um, he asked me when Jamel is. When, when, when's the time? When do I go? How come I haven't gone this week? So um, I think it's been, it's, been, it's been great for him. I would say two words that best describe Jamel as a trainer is honest, and hard worker. We really want him to always do his best and be the best that he can be, and Jermel really pushes him to do that. He doesn't let him quit. He doesn't let him go easy on something. He makes him give 100% effort, and he doesn't stop until he has shown that he has perfected something. And each skill is practiced and worked on to the point of perfection so that we know that he'll be able to transfer that onto the court and also transfer it into other areas of his life. Training sessions are awesome. They are a great combination of just fundamentals coupled with competition, coupled with fun. Raising a student athlete is just as important as being one. In in the Georgia College, you know, because I was just telling my son about that earlier. Um, you know, man, I had pink socks and pink un- pink underwear. You know, my first week because I mixed all the lights with the darks and washing clothes. You know what I mean? And those things, you know, when we when we get to college, we learn life lessons. Um, right. You know, talk about the experience. You know, when you first got to college. Well, you know. Uh, junior college, being on your own, have to wake up on time and do all these different things. And you have to have a schedule with coaching and being its weights, class. Um, talk about those things and how, how, cause everybody think, you know, going to school, I, I just want a scholarship. They don't know the work you got to put into it in order to get that. Um, right. Share with the, share with the community um, those experiences and how it, it affects your life just going into college. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you get to, you get to Spartanburg Methodist and you say, Hey, it's only junior college. And so, you know, I'm probably going to dominate and, and be one of the best players on the team. And what I find out pretty quickly, uh, I find myself coming off the bench mm. first 10, 10 games. So it was very humbling. Um, and I found out that, you know, uh, if you got practice at two o'clock, show up at 145, not 202. Right. Uh, 
or the coach is going to be really pissed off and he's really going to run you and discipline you. Uh, I found out that, you know, take your earrings out of your ear. I found out that pull your socks up, you know. Uh, I want to see your socks in practice. You know, pull your pants up, you know. Uh, be on time, be respectful, you know, give good effort, you know. So there was a high level of accountability. And at the time, I didn't really enjoy my coach, uh, Brian Garmouth, but, you know, he helped me change my life, you know, coming from North Charleston and, and uh, doing things a certain way. And then he broke me. He broke me and changed me. So when I got to Georgia College, um, you know, I get there and, and it's a liberal arts school, Division two, small college. And in the first day of school, they say, hey, look, you don't, we, don't, we don't choose your roommates. You don't get to choose your roommates. So I go in the room, and I got a guy from Woodstock, Atlanta, white guy, uh, Mark. He actually just stopped by the office kind of crazy out of the blue uh, about three months ago, four months ago, right before the pandemic. And uh, he's from Woodstock, Georgia. So I learned right there to respect the differences in people. It's a white guy. He's got uh, Bob Molly posters everywhere in the room before I got there. He had a guitar. Uh, you know, over there sitting on his bed. And so I had to adjust and adapt and, and we really became good friends. And so um, I think that experience, you know, really was something good for me to, to round me out, to, to put me around people that's different from me, uh, learn to respect the differences of people, uh, being with coaches that held me accountable. Uh, obviously the coach at Georgia College was the guy who gave me my first um, coaching position you know, at Georgia College. I was back home in Charleston after graduating and he called me back for a graduate assistantship. So I learned that it was important how you treat people and how people was watching you at all times. Like as a young man, sometimes you don't realize every day is an interview. Right. So when you're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, people watching you. So I had no idea my coach was watching me and uh, he brought me back for my first coaching position in 2000. Um, I did that for two years before heading over to the Citadel. So just been very fortunate with going to Spartanburg Methodist and Georgia College and the people that I met and some of the life lessons that I learned. Yeah, and just talk back about, talk about the life lessons in time. You know, when I talk about Coach Cress, who totally broke me, you know, coming from Burke High School into this new situation, and we had to be places at 812, 717, all right? How are you going to be late for 717, bro? There's no way. But he has so much talent in one room. The smallest little things determine the playing time. That shows your accountability. That shows your – if you can depend on you. Because if you're late for practice in the morning, that means last night you didn't prepare. And he put those things in place and let us know how important it was to be on time. So, yeah, I totally agree with you about um, those experiences what college can bring for you. So – you know, you kind of segue it's a little bit about your, your, your coaching career um, and, and the guy gave you your first coaching job. What, what struck that interest? Um, because I know we all wanted to play at the next level, um, and those things that happened for, for us extensively, what sparked the interest for you to get into coaching? Yeah, um, let, me, let me answer this. Let me say this before I answer that. Um, you said something, man, that, like, is the most unbelievable key as a coach right now, can I depend on you? Right, right, right. You know, that's my big thing for, for my, my team right now, man. Like, can I depend on you? Like, and, and it's interesting, like you said, are you on time? Are you going to class? Or am I getting good reports from the academic people? 
you know, are you making good decisions in the community? And it's hard because, yeah, the young men, 18, 19, 20, there's a lot of distractions. But that's my deal. Can I depend on you? Okay, if you, and as a man, one day you will have a son or a daughter looking. And if you, and I always tell these guys this, and if they get out of school and they expect you to pick them up at two, and you told them, now, I'll be there at two. Why are you getting there at 245 and they sitting out there by themselves on the curb? Right. Can they depend on you? Can I depend on you? So that's a that's something you got to learn now before you become. And you don't make that. You don't get the. You don't get an opportunity to adjust that on the fly. No. No. You know Are you dependable? <laughs> and I put guys in the game that I can depend on. You totally. know, their behaviors. Their behaviors show me. Like right now in the summer, their behaviors show me. Can I depend on? You? So when I go run to grab a guy to put him in the game, typically I'm running to the guy I can depend on. Not always the most talented guy. Right. It's a guy I can depend on. So. Um, but to answer your question about why I got into coaching, um, I wanted to be a high school coach. So I was convinced when I went back to Georgia College in 2000 for that graduate assistantship that I was going to do that job for a couple years and I was going to try to come back to Charleston and find me a job with, uh, with one of these high schools. My mom had taught high school at Baptist Hill for 32 years. Wow. So I saw the effect she had on people's lives. You know, I knew what my coaches did for me. And so my whole thing was, can I, can I get a high school program, you know, and, and have them going from eighth to 12th grade and, and, and develop a program where these kids understand what we're talking about now, accountability, being dependable, making good decisions, and putting yourself in position academically and socially to go off to college. So but when I went to Georgia College in 2000 and got that job, you know, I did that for a couple of years and then I started interviewing for a few jobs and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, whether it be staying in Georgia and do high school, whether it be coming back to Charleston. You know, I just kind of through working camps, you know, through camps when I was a GA, working the Citadel, working college at Charleston, uh, you know, where I met all those guys, you know, Ben Betts and, and uh, you know, Marty McGillan and some of those guys who were assistants at the time. John Kaufman, he at uh, IPFW now, you know, meeting them different guys at camp, you know, Tim Heskett, uh, J.D. Powell, my assistant, you know, and just trying to figure it out, working at Maryland camp. You know, my cousin, LaRon Prophet was at Maryland, so I would go out there and work their camp, uh, doing that for years and all the, through this, all through the summer made me realize, man, I love being in the gym. Mm-hmm. So I knew I love being in the gym. I was like, I just, I got to be in the gym, whether it was me playing or rather me working with a kid. I just wanted to be in the gym. So I think what happened was, you know, I'm at Georgia College. I'm thinking about being a high school coach through working these camps. And I had my last camp, man. I was in Summit, Mississippi. I drove to Summit, Mississippi from Charleston because um, I graduated college and went to Summit, Mississippi, Joe Dean Dixie Basketball Camp, Summit, Mississippi. Joe Dean was the AD at Birmingham Southern, and his daddy was the AD. Uh, Joe Dean Senior was AD at LSU. And so I'm working this camp and I drive back 14 hours from Summit to Charleston and all kind of things going through my mind. It's late in the summer. Okay, it's time to go back to college. Typically August is when we go back, but I can't go back. Right. One offer to play overseas in Croatia. There was a lot of stuff going on in the world. So I was scared to get on the airplane and go that far. And so I get back to Charleston on a Sunday night. Monday night, I'm in the Air Force recruiting office. <laughs> I'm an Air Force recruiting officer. I'm going to Air Force. 
But that's when I got the break and I went back to Georgia College. When uh when I was in the Air Force recruiting office on Monday, my college coach called me on Tuesday, and that's when I went back to Georgia College. So so I never went to the Air Force, obviously. And and then and then long story short, two years later, as I'm thinking maybe I'm gonna be a high school coach, I get a call from Pat Dennis. Another thing that made me realize relationships and how you treat people because I knew I wasn't gonna go play for the Citadel. Right. I was in high school, but I did return his calls. He asked me to come play pickup with those guys at the Citadel. I went down, you know, Jamie Jenkins and some of them guys was on right, the team. Right. Washburn and them guys. So I would go down and play pickup. You know, I invited them in my home for a home visit. Right. He offered me the job. And the kind of the rest was history because he hired me and then Greg Marshall offered me two years later at Winthrop. So right. I, the whole idea of going to high school, it never happened. It just one thing that kind of led to another. And I just was very fortunate to stay in the college side of it. Right. Hey, what's up, guys? In our timeout session today, we got Thaddeus Big Baby Delaney. Let's hear all about it. And you can't help being in the city. It's, it's 7 to 1 down there. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> that's, a, that's, another, that's another story. But, you know, me as me being a, a high senior, senior in high school, and um, you know, we I got to school that day, and it was like, man, we about to we about to watch this Wake Forest and cause a Charleston game, and they about to mm-hmm. like, I can't go to math my like eighth period. I'm like, dude, <laughs> shit, I'm already on the line of not playing this year. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> my grades is shot. Y'all talk about cutting down schools so and watch the game. Okay, right, but um. We watched the game, man. And listen, I tell you, bro, you know, I was heavily recruited. I didn't have no schools at that time, but I was still heavily recruited. And, mm-hmm. um, man, I saw you gave Tim Duncan the business. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I mean, at that time, local colleges wasn't on TV like that. You know what I'm saying? No. Like, we, had to go, we, had to see, we had to see other colleges, Clemson, USC, play on, on J, JP Sports and other, you know, other stations like that. But NCAA, they kind of give us some, some, some local love. So now I got there, and I saw that, like, man. I'm like, where's the cause of Charleston? I'm like, it's right there. Like, I didn't even – it wasn't even adapting me. But, man, y'all showed out. Y'all put us on the map. So that led to my decision-making. So, you know, every segue into that part of it, tell us about, you know, some of those – your experience at, at, at the cause of Charleston. Like, I mean, we have we, – we share big wins together, but – Give me some some experiences where, you know, like, like you're glad you you made a decision. Now let's get back to the interview. And so that, that leads me to my next question. So here we got. Uh, make sure I got this history right. The Citadel, Winthrop, Wichita State, Clemson, and Charleston. All right. So let's start with the Citadel and Pat Dennis, which I know Pat really, really well as well. Um, two questions for each college. The Citadel, a nugget that you learn and application from that nugget. Man, well, you know, he always used to say, find kids with a strong home situation, whether they were two fam, two parent home or somebody you can call to help you with the kid, meaning, and I think about that sometimes, 
the kids that are now, and, and I'm, I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna say what I learned from it. That that was contradictory for what I believe my ministry was as a coach. Okay. Because I said I'm gonna probably always have a kid. Every now and then, I'm always gonna have a couple kids with a bad home situation. Right. Right. But I see what he was trying to say because in order to keep a kid at the Citadel, first of all, you had to find the right. So here's what I learned. You had to find the right person for your school. So Citadel was, you got to find somebody that can be there for four years because you got to get old with them players. So you got to bring guys who can embrace that military. You got a good home situation. Mm -hmm. They call home and it's only the mother. The mother probably going to say, come on, baby, let's come on home. Right, right. I going to say, get that education. So I learned that this, every school has a, as a, uh, a profile of a type player. And so that was for them. But now I'm at the College of Charleston, and this is an underappreciated chip on the shoulder, blue collar place. This was a place you saw in AIA. We didn't have a lot. We had to fight for everything. So, right. so this is different. So every now and again, I'm going to have a kid that his home situation ain't as good, but he coming here for a family. Right, right. You know, he got something, but he got a big heart. So, um, so that's what I learned from the Citadel that, find kids with a strong foundation at home. But the nugget that I got from that is that was right for that school. You got to get kids that are going to stay for four years. Every school has a DNA and what they need. Well, it helps with that support. You know, when the, when the Folk Union Military Academy, I went to AWOL the first three days. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> well, I, just, yes. I had to get up at six in the morning, shine yeah. my shoes, make my bed, all that's for six in the morning. That's just it's crazy. So yeah, right. Coach Eric called my mom. Was like, hey, look, he, like, what's going on? And she gave him that support. She called me, hey, look, we got to get this done. So yeah, that support system is huge. What about Winthrop? Yeah, Winthrop. You know, I think what I learned was um, probably the biggest thing I learned is accountability. You know, Greg Marshall really held everybody accountable. You know, and so I thought that was something that's huge. I'm talking about it can be. If you miss a class, he ain't gonna wait until tomorrow. You missed a class at two. He trying to find you by two ten. <laughs> you know, you know right. so, so ain't no okay, no late in the afternoon or tomorrow. So he was he was he was very uh, hard in terms of being accountable. I did learn that about uh, his his personality, but then I also learned that there was a certain type of kid that you can win with, and and again. Mm this man that you know you can win playing defense you can win playing rebounding and taking care of the ball if you can do those three things you can win and so find kids if you can find me a kid that can defend and has got some toughness and that's going to rebound and can take hard coaching we can still develop Easy. So there was a certain type of kid you know that that you needed in your in your program and then the other thing was a certain kind of staff because you know I know for me at the College of Charleston, and it's probably something I learned from him, every day you got to roll your sleeves up and work. Like, tomorrow ain't promised, so you got to work hard that day you got, and you got to be grateful for that day you got. You got to roll your sleeves up and work. No job can't be too small for you. Like, whether you're the head coach or assistant, like, you may have to hop in the drill every now and again. Like, you right. got to – and, you know, and so you got to be humble about it. Um, so he always wanted guys that came up the hard way, and, um, and he wanted guys with a story. And, you know, I probably really took that from him. But the biggest thing is just, you know, how important it is you got to defend and rebound and, and, and believe, and that's the way you win, whether it be changing defense, playing some, you know, 1-1-3 zone or whether it be man-to-man, -man, whatever. But 
you know, you got to defend and rebound. And so for me, probably the biggest thing I took from him is just the toughness it takes to, to be a winner. And then also the accountability with the players, you know, there are going to be days where those guys don't really want to be around you because you know, you're telling them the truth. So the truth, probably the truth is probably another big thing I learned from you. You got to tell them kids the truth. Right. And I want to be around you because of the truth. You know, they don't right. want to hear the truth, but it's uncomfortable sometimes when the truth come out. So, uh, so those are things I took from him. And I would say, well, both Winthrop and Wichita State, since those both the same schools. And yeah. well, well, and I say this now about Wichita. I, I learned that, um, you know, it was interesting because when I went to Winthrop, he was already winning. But I, when I went to Wichita, we stepped on campus on day one together. Right. So right. I, I realized, I'm going to tell you, I realized there was a process to becoming a winner. You know, and it was interesting how humble them first couple of years at Winthrop humbled him mm. with me. I was able to see him at his lowest, you know, mm. 10 and 24 or, you know, losing seven games in a row. So I saw him at his lowest. And, uh, and so I knew from that experience when I became a head coach that if you got, if you got some time, you know, you're going to be able to get it from one year, two year, three year, four year. It's going to be a ladder. You might right. not it all in the first year so don't don't panic right the process you know what I mean so I learned that because I had to from day one I was on the job with him I am so interested in developing Cooper's athletic skills is because I believe in fundamentals of the game and teaching him hard work and nothing is handed to him without the hard work. As far as the training sessions go, I think what Jamel does is when new athletes come in, he kind of breaks them down and starts from the ground level with um, all the details. He works with footwork, with your hands, with your follow through, with your elbow, with your shooting. And when Andrew first came, he wanted to start shooting and shooting and doing all those drills. But Jamel had him start with um, just simple stuff, dribbling, dribbling over and over. And that teaches him too a lot of um, patience and a lot of discipline. Our expectations are just to continue to improve. We, and we've seen that. Where he is today going into this season is in a much better place than he was at the beginning of last season. So we've definitely seen him close the gap, improve substantially, and I've got great expectations for what he's going to be able to accomplish this year. Raising a student athlete is just as important as being one. It's, it's so crazy that, you know, Greg Marshall, um, uh, I played for him for a couple of years when he was here. Um, you probably didn't like him. Um, I would say then, then I, I, that was never the case. Uh, Dwayne Grace recruited me, but Greg was, I mean, Coach Marshall was straight to the point. You know what I mean? Like him and um, Coach Arbaugh got into it, you know, one or two times because, hey, check this out. We would go right on the bus, right? So Coach Crest, man, let me tell you, he – he does. He 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 dangles the the carrot with his players and the staff. I mean, he he gets the best out of everybody. So we're on the bus, and um, Coach Chris yelled out, "So what are we going to eat today?" 
And, um, you know, Coach Yarbrough yelled at, a, yelled at a restaurant, and Greg yelled at a restaurant. So <laughs> whichever restaurant we want, Coach Crash is like, great choice, Jim. Great choice, Jim. And just leave it like that, right? So it, he, kept, he kept that fire and that, and that thing going through all his players and his, and his coach, which was great. But, no, Coach Marshall was a great, great coach. I love him. And um, I was watching his success, you know, up until this point. Lastly, before we get into Charleston, it's Clemson. Um, give me a nugget and an application from Clemson. Yeah, you know, Clemson was interesting because um, – you know, I got there, I left Greg Marshall, and he had trained my mind that, you know, defense rebounding, athleticism, quick twitch muscle fibers. Can he rebound at 12 feet? How tough is he? You know, and he wanted tough guys that can move and get after it. And so and they had to they got to carry around their lunch pail. And so then Brad, you know, he wanted, he was from Indiana, where he had played for a guy, Royce Waltman, yeah, who Royce Waltman was, uh, you know, Bobby Knight's assistant at Indiana. He wanted skill level and IQ. So I'm in uh, my, my recruiting base is Charlotte, Atlanta. I can go to Atlanta and I know everybody. I can go to Charlotte. I know everybody. So these athletes are there. But they weren't skilled enough. Mm. And so I, I had a hard time the first year and a half trying to navigate you know, who can play for Brad. So we would go past Atlanta trying to get to Ohio to look for some skill. Mm. You know, or Birmingham or, you know, all these places naturally you got to pass to get to Ohio. So so I think I had to figure out, okay, how do how how can we do this? First of all, it's the ACC, so you don't got a lot of time. You're playing against Duke, North Carolina every night, Louisville. Like, you don't get Florida State. You don't have a lot of time to make mistakes, but I had to figure out pretty quickly Either we're going to find him exactly what he want or I'm going to have to be convicted with my evaluation mm. and kid to him that, hey, look, we can win with this kid. Mm. So that's battle every day. And so I'll give you an example, K.J. McDaniels, okay? Yeah. The kid K.J. McDaniels from Birmingham, Alabama. And, you know, he had a pretty decent home situation. There were some issues in there, but he was a great kid and he had great people around him. But his academics wasn't good. You know, he had a really low GPA and he had a really low test score. And so, long story short with him, he wasn't getting recruited. He was 6'6", 200 pounds. And Brad wanted skill. So I I was trying to figure out, is he a three, is he a four? Well, he wasn't, he couldn't dribble well enough to play the three or shoot it well enough. He wasn't tall enough to be a four. But he rebounded 12 feet. He had quick twitch muscle fibers. He was long. He would block a shot, fall down, get up, and dunk it on the other end. Hmm. So I said, well, you know, we can work with him. I said, we can trust our development. Brad was a big-time development coach now, always in the gym, and I love to develop. We had a staff of skilled developers. And so I'm driving back from Birmingham. I told Coach I was going to see this kid. He don't have any offers, okay? South Alabama, VCU, they're messing with him. No ACC, no, no SEC. So I'm driving back from Birmingham to Clemson, stopped in Atlanta, got me a hotel, relaxed, met some of my guys. And I said, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm going to tell Brad this kid ain't quite good enough. You know, he ain't skilled enough. He just ain't quite, he can't do it. Drive to, get up the next day, drive to Clemson, sitting in my office. Brad, Brad coming to the office. He said, hey, Earl, how was that kid from Birmingham? I said, coach, we got to take him. We got to take him. You know, he's 
on. He can get a second jump, block shots. He can run the floor like a gazelle. We got to take him. Right. And so, long story short, we took him. He was first team all ACC, defensive player of the year, led the ACC in shot, block shots. But we didn't love him his freshman year because he wasn't skilled enough. But I learned that as an assistant there, you're working for a guy you, you don't have a great relationship with. You have to be convicted mm. to evaluation mm. when you're a coach. Mm. And that's something I try to get my staff to do now. Mm. You know, if you see something you like, even if I say, like, for example, you say, hey, look, uh, we don't really need a guard this year. We already got a couple good guards. Well, you always need a good guard. Right. You can't never have too many good guards. So all I'm saying with that is, if you're the assistant coach and, and you know we don't need a guard, but you see somebody you love, the 6'2", that can make a difference, you got to come in and say, we got to take this kid. You got to sell him. Right. You got to sell him. And that's got to be strong in your conviction. So I learned to be strong in my conviction with uh, Brad. But I also learned that toughness is a talent, um, you know, and character is a talent because we, we never had more talent than pound for pound size and athleticism and feel than Duke, North Carolina, Florida State, Georgia Tech, none of those guys. They have more talent. But I learned that we could get toughness and that can be a talent. We can get character and that can be a talent. That carried us because we were able to beat Duke and Florida State and some of them right. people with less talent. But our talent was our toughness and our character. So that's something else I learned. You had to do it there because you're not at the top of the league. Right. You ain't never at the top of the league in basketball. Right. So how are you going to compete with the top? You got to find out how to do it. And I think toughness and uh, character was something that gave us an ability to at least survive in a shark-infested league, you know, where it's a lot of players and NBA Hey, what's up, guys? In our timeout session today, we got Marcus the Glove Woods. Let's hear all about it. It's going, and, and this is how I feel. Unless you come up with something that says every single person gets the same amount, or if you stagger it somehow, like you just said, 25000 50000 you know, because the punter or a kid that, that just barely got, you know, got the scholarship, his, his likeness is not as valuable as the next person's likeness, That's right? True. So you're still going to create inequities in itself, but what right? If, good point. But what if that's like that goes to the, the hardest worker? What that's if, how life is, yeah. That's how life is. But I, didn't, I was unaware of that cost of attendance stipend that you talked about. That changes the game on things, right? It absolutely yeah. changes the game. But what if there is a, a, a standard blanket cost of attendance for all athletes, 10,000, whatever it is. But if I'm a business major, if I'm a marketing major and I play ball, I can't be limited to just that if I got the, the, the means and smarts to go out and to get more. Correct. That's what it's all about. Now, would that affect my playing performance? Because now I'm focusing on this platform, the eat off. So I know what you mean. It gets so choppy and so crazy it's and you can bring in, and you end up, do you invite, at that point, if I can go out and make money on my own, if, if they're going to allow me to work a job, do you invite the big-time boosters into this situation and say, all right, here, here's a job, we'll take care of it. So I, I do think, you know, 
there's something they have to do with that. But I'll be perfectly honest with you. We're looking at basketball. Now let's get back to the interview. All those attributes, you got, you know, time, um, truth, conviction, um, toughness, all things you learn. And now we're here at, at the College of Charleston. How do you how do you feel all those things you've learned in the application um, with your coaching now? What are the results from all the things you implemented into your team? And how do you how do you think uh, those things has turned out into things you've lo- learned teaching your players, staff, and so forth? Well, I mean, I think that it's it's a it's a blueprint. It's a blueprint, you know, with the conglomerate of all of what we just talked about, the time, the commitment. Uh, you know, all that stuff like that. I mean, it's a, all of that together. I think it's a blueprint for success. It's a blueprint for success. Now, we still got work to do uh, here. I think we've made some progress in, in the time over the last four or five years. We've made some progress. But I think we still got work to do. There's still some things that hadn't been accomplished that we're still striving for uh, to kind of wake us up every day and get us excited. But, But I think out of all those experience, you're talking about 15 years of assistant coach uh, before coming here, all those experience I draw on here. Like I know for sure that, that you gotta, you gotta, you're going to be held responsible for your actions. So going to class, treating people right, being on time, you know, giving good effort, you're going to be held accountable. I also know that, I don't really enjoy coaching certain types of kids. Hmm, it's interesting. Like if you don't, if you if you don't love being in the gym, and I work hard, it makes my work harder. And you don't work hard, me and you have problems. Like right. I don't really, I don't enjoy you as much. You know now, right? There's a certain type of kid I like to coach. I know that, and it's interesting because with my sons, I told my wife, I said I wanted my sons would be somebody I like to coach. They got to get tougher right now, <laughs> you know. So. And I'm looking at them like, you got to get tougher, man. So, so I think that uh, – but I also realized, uh, Jamel, that what I – through basketball, the life lessons that you learn, like anything possible from the College of Charleston, man, uh, basketball is a, a vehicle to get you to where you're trying to go. And while you're in that vehicle, moving towards where you're trying to go, maybe leave some footprints in the sand, you know, doing some special things, whether it be get to the tournament or – big time wins that you have, like or relationships that you develop in the city on campus with your teammates or just people around this area. But like those guys have done well. You know, we got uh, Dick Harris is in law school, Evan Belly's in medical school, Jarrell wow. with the Utah Jazz, Joe Chile with the Charlotte Hornets, wow. Am Johnson with the San Antonio Spurs. You know, Marquis Pointer got his uh, photography company here doing wedding plannings and different things he's doing. Um, you know, Grant Rilla is on the verge of being drafted. Here's the trick, though. All them kids I just mentioned, they got a degree. That's so right. You got something to stand on. So, you know, we try to play basketball, but we try to become a better man, and we try to position ourselves uh, to have a bright future, uh, you know, by getting an education and, and, and building relationships that will help you 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now. Right. And as we get closer and in this interview, we have a couple more questions. 
Um, so <clears throat> bringing us to the current, the pandemic situation with COVID and all the other stuff, you know, we use the sport um, to build self-esteem, um, to, to devalue teamwork, um, create great leadership. And with the sport and the activity not being, you know, available to go on right now, talk about the mental state of, of, of the players. And not only players, as yourself, too, because we, we, we lost a, a big chunk of communication through the sport. How are you dealing with that and how what 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 um what tips you, you're giving your players and how to deal with that? Well, from a mental standpoint, for me, um it just allowed me to get to know my sons and my wife a little bit better because you know it's been a long time, man, at least 15, 16 years, maybe even longer than 20 years that I can say I was home at one o'clock. Right. Sitting in the living room. Right. You know, so, uh, or at three o'clock, I can go throw a baseball with my son or ride a bike. Right, right. Actually, John's Island. Like, right. I've never been able to do that. And so what it made me realize, I didn't know my sons. I mean, I knew them. I'm their dad. But I had only spent 20 minutes a day with them. 10 minutes on the ride to school, 10 minutes on the ride back, you eat dinner. So you really didn't have a lot of time. So in the pandemic, it forced me. Nice. I'm in a position where they tell you don't come to the office. And even though I was working at home, I was a, I was at home. Right. And right. so from a mental standpoint, it was healthy for me and my family. Um, the development of our family. In terms of our players, I'm still trying to figure out the impact it had on all of them mentally because not only that they weren't here in the summer. Uh, like they typically, they used to be in here in the summer. Some of our guys are better off here in the summer than they are at home. Totally. On the situation. Totally. So, so you know, they weren't here in the summer. Um, and they kept asking us questions of when they could come back. And we never had answers for them. You know, we just kind of just, it was the first time that man, no man could tell you had an answer for you. That's crazy. That's crazy. So it forced you to, it forced you to uh, depend a little more on your faith. Because the, no man can tell you anything. It was the first time in my life. I'm 40, a little bit kilter and over 40. And it was the first time in my life I couldn't call a man and say, hey, when can we come back to the office? When right. can players come to school? Nobody had answered. Right. I think for the players, it was a waiting game, um, you know, for so long, three months. You know, and then they get back. The other part of the mental piece that you don't understand, then they get back. And we all wanted them back. I wanted them back. My staff wanted them back. They wanted to be back. And then the first two weeks, we realized that we really want them back. Mm. Because now, okay, a kid got the virus, or not even our player, but maybe just well, all the restaurants closed, or, uh, you know, oh, you can't go in the gym. Right. Right, right now. No five-on-five, five, no one-on-one. -on -one. You can go in the gym, two players only. Got to wear a mask. Wash your hands. Uh, yeah, you can't go out. You can't go out and hang out at a bar or a party or right. – so, so all of the, we had to learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And so it make you realize how comfortable you was, you know what I mean? So, right, right. So I don't really know the effects mentally yet. Um, I think as time goes, we'll all find out more about that. Right. Uh, help that we find out that we are having a season that we open up November the 25th, I think that's helped a little bit mentally. Mm -hmm. um, but but just with all of the protocol with the COVID 
okay, if, uh, if you get one player that tested positive and he's been around like 15 minutes, well, you got to go in quarantine for 14 days. So imagine telling a young man, go in the room for 14 days, don't come out. That ain't going to happen. Right. The biggest things that I've seen, too, I know that um, good teaching comes from relationships, and Christopher responds really well to Jamil. And that relationship that they've built has been a big part of why he's been successful. And I think all good coaches know that if they can build those relationships with players, the players are going to perform for them. And that's something that we've seen Christopher do. The changes I've seen in Cooper um, is his growth. He has just matured taking that discipline uh, into his personal life of his studies and his home life in school by being a leader and just working really hard to be a good example. We have really noticed a lot of changes in our son since he started training. We definitely noticed that he's more focused in general at school and at home. He's definitely more determined to achieve excellence. He sets goals and he works hard to achieve them, which is something that we've been struggling with for a long time. And he is more confident at home and at school. We love seeing that his confidence at school has increased because it helps him do better academically. I was interested most with my athlete or with Andrew is that I know he had some some natural talent with basketball and he's done pretty well in middle school but I know that he was wanting to make that next step to high school and I knew that it was going to be a whole different level and a whole different commitment so I wanted to give him this opportunity to see if 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 he was ready to 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 uh, to face that challenge and I knew that I had heard that Jamel was the one to do that and that he um, you know pushes them um, and teaches them and um, so I wanted to give him that opportunity and he's definitely embraced it and raising a student athlete is just as important as being one all right so you know the last the last topic is a oatmeal recipe. An oatmeal recipe is something that the Day Foundation do. And our three ingredients for the oatmeal recipe is skill development, education, and nutrition. I think those three things that any athlete has in any sport will help you succeed with those things. But it also transfers to the professional life. So three questions I want to ask you in the closing is skill development. How do you prepare as a coach skill development? Do you talk to other coaches? Do you read information? Um, do you rely on the, the past experiences? What do you do to enhance your skill, your skill development as a coach? Yeah, I do all three. I do all three what you just mentioned. I mean, obviously, I draw on the experience of, of, of what I've done in the past at other places or, you know, just learning from other players that I've had that we were able to take to be from a good player to we thought maybe be an elite player in the conference. And how did we get them to that point? And so, uh, for me, I draw off a lot of my experience. That's number one. Number two, I do watch a lot of video uh, on other good guys who uh, are great skill developers because you're always looking for new, fresh, innovative ideas. 
I don't want to necessarily be doing everything today in our workouts that we did six years ago when I got here. Right. You know, some of my players have been here for five years. They want something different every now and again. So, so I try to learn from other people so I can stay innovative and stay fresh uh, with some of the ways we keep these guys engaged and keep them excited about getting better. And then the last thing is just, you know, talking to a lot of coaches. I mean, I maybe got four or five head coaches, head coaches at Division One schools that, you know, we talk once a week, you know, whether they call me or I call them, how you dealing with this issue or this situation. Uh, and then we talk, then we end up talking about basketball, you know, right. so, uh, so I think all of those areas, um, you know, uh, my, my own experiences, watching films, studying, because you always got to learn something new. Every day. Uh, once you start learning, you know, that that's a bad place to be in. Uh, but then, you know, watching videos and learning from others, but talking to coaches, trying to just figure out ways to, to get better at what we're doing. Um, you know, so those those are all the areas that, that we do in terms of our skill development. Okay. So education. Um, what education, what things that you, besides reading, um, do you take any information on as far as personal relationships on I know your, your your major is philosophy, psychology, all right? So all those things are pretty dealing with players and dealing with personal people all day. Is anything that you, any any podcasts, anything that you, any any CDs, let's do this to educate you on how to deal with those personal relationships? Yeah, I mean, you know, I do, I do listen to the podcast and I do do a lot of reading. I think reading in the podcast are probably ways to, to help you, uh, you know, learn more and, and, and stay sharp. But I talk to a lot of mentors, whether it be, you know, I got different mentors. So I think mentorship uh, is important. So you got one guy I talked to who's been a head coach for 30 years. He's retired now, you know, and he's down in Florida, he and his wife. Uh, he got an older kids. So we talk maybe once or twice a week. Um, but he's, you know, he's been in the NCAA tournament. He's led a team to the eight. Um, you know, he, he's, he's done it at every level. And so, but he's retired now, so I can right. lean on him for some different uh, advice. And then I got a spiritual advisor, you know, uh, that I can talk to, you know, just about how to deal with crisis, and different situations when they occur, you know, dealing with adversity and different things that happen, whether it be with our players or with our family, you know, just, you know, being able to have somebody, now again, older gentlemen that I can talk to. Uh, you know, I got Greg Marshall, you know, guys who were successful, uh, that actually have done it longer than me, you know. Right. And then got some guys, you know, uh, younger guys that are head coaches, maybe only been doing it for three or four years. So I got a little bit of, you know, everything in terms of trying to get be educated about basketball, about life. Uh, I mean, got a financial guy, you know, that you know, older guy that I can lean on, you know, for advice about finances. Um, so I think talking to people who have already done what you've done or have already done what you want to do mm. and have had success in your field uh, that are experienced, I think that's the best way to educate yourself and stay sharp because they've done things you want to do and they, they've, done, they've done things you aspire to become and they've already done it. So they can kind of give you a, a guideline, and a blueprint of what worked for them and what didn't work for them. Right. So different mentors. And lastly is nutrition. What I hate most is you go to these tournaments and you got these teams, uniform look good. They probably, you know, 4-0 in a tournament. I mean, but 
they walking around with a McDonald's bag with a bag with, with a cup of Coke and a soda, Skittles, you know, and it's all I'm in the group. And I'm thinking saying to myself, like, as a player, your body is the most important thing right now. Sugar slows you up, your, your thought process. You can't really talk about fast twitch muscles and fast twitch thinking. That sugar going to slow that up. As a coach, what are, what are your input um, when it comes to nutrition, how important that is to, to your, your players' uh, pro- progress? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that's big. I think nutrition is critical. Now, as it pertains to the AAU and the younger guys, I think I love AAU and what it does and the opportunity it gives those young guys. But there are some things I don't love about it because you, know, you play three games in a day. And when you lose, you're probably still getting a write-up about how well you played. Um, and then you got another game in an hour and a half, so you lost. So it ain't really – it don't fester with you as much. So um, so I don't like that part of it. I do like the platform to give the players to go out and showcase their talent. And I don't like what it does from a nutritional standpoint because, um, you know, you do have a game in an hour and a half. So where are you going Right. Probably gonna grab Chick Fil A. Probably gonna grab McDonald's. And I know that from firsthand experience because my my 14 year old had a whole six weekend summer of AAU this summer. And I mean, I watched the habits, the eating habits of, of those young kids. I don't think it's healthy, but you know, as it pertains to our players, I think it's a little more important. Like I think this, it depends on the individual. Like if you're telling me you want to be elite at what you do. You want to be one of the best in this conference. Then if you want to be one of the best in this conference, you want to be a leader at what you do, then everything everything you do has to be better than other guys. So nutrition for me, I think the best players now in this day and age, they got to take care of their body. So taking care of your body will start with getting the proper amount of sleep. Now that's a hard one. And that's been a hard one for me most of my years. I love to get eight and a half hours of Right. I ain't got past five and a half in a long time. But I think getting sleep is critical. You gotta be able to find a way to get to sleep. That's number one. Now all of this is gonna be all added up into sacrifice now. So number two, so number two, you gotta you gotta be careful about what you put into your body. Sure. I think you can put I think you can do more, you can eat a little bit different in the summer as a college athlete and maybe uh put a little bit different in your body in the summer as an athlete, but when it gets to September, October, November, December, there needs to be a sacrifice that, hey, I'm gonna put the right things in my body. I'm not gonna eat a bunch of burgers and greasy foods. All right, I'm gonna make sure I get the three meals a day. I'm gonna make sure I get the right rest. And if you smart, walk around with a water jug. Exactly. A lot of water. And you don't drink a lot of carbonated soda. You know, drink water and then drink juice that's good for you, you know? So that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. I think that's a challenge, but it's hard to be elite. Right. I think it's hard to be really good. Now, and, and I tell my sons this all the time, there's three types of people. I said, y'all tell me what y'all, what y'all are. There's, as it pertains to sports, there's, there's people that's bad, or they poor players, bad, poor players. That's number one. Then you got average, and then you got really good, really good. I said, now what? I said, now think about it. If you poor and you bad, you probably, you don't, matter of fact, you don't even really count. Right. But there's a lot of average people. I said, you know what average people mean? They all do the same stuff. Mm. All day, they eat snacks, okay? They on the phones all day, they on the video game all day. 
They ain't working on their craft, whether it's basketball, football, tennis, I don't care what the craft is. They're not working on their craft, they're average, so they go out and they're all pretty solid. But that really good elite person, they're not. You can't always find them on the video game. You go in, you log in, you looking for him. He ain't there at 9 a.m. Right. Yeah, at 7 p.m. Well, where is he? He probably working on something. He ain't average. He a little different from y'all. Right. And so that's my that's my whole feel on nutrition is that you got to do something different from everybody else. You got to eat a little bit better. You got to hydrate a little bit better. You got to sleep a little bit better. And then I'm a true believer of wherever fruit can come from it, that's where you spend your time. If ain't no fruit can come from your labor, no time. Like that. If no fruit can come from your labor. I like that. Any, any, any time you spend multiple hours a day, be able to show us where the fruit gonna come from. Like if, you can't, if you can't give us an idea where the fruit gonna come from, you wasting, you wasting your time. I like that. I like that. <clears throat> and the last question was everybody, this is, this is a community question. Uh, from, the, from, the, from the high school players here locally. Everybody wants to know, well, first my question was going to be, what two things excite, excite you when you're recruiting a player? But you can, you can, you can throw that in there with this, this question is, what do you see locally that we don't have that we need to implement? For, for you to say as a coach, you know what? I like this player at this school because he does X, Y, Z. Now, I like this player at the school because he does X, Y, Z. And I haven't seen it in a long time because we're losing this here locally. What's mm -hmm. those, what's, what is that thing? Well, the thing I like in players the most is competitive spirit. Like if I come watch you play, I don't want to see the same facial expression the whole time. Mm. I mean, like stick mm. your tongue, pump your fist, like clap your hands. Right, right. Something like I want to see life. You know, I want somebody who loves what they're doing. That, that's my biggest key. See somebody who loves what they're doing, a great competitive spirit. But what we're missing in Charleston is a few things. Number one, we need midnight basketball or something like that to come back. That's number one. We need, we need more competitive spirit. Like, and I think what I mean by that is right now, I don't, I don't see and feel what I felt years ago about Charleston. Now, there's a few players pop up from time to time. And it ain't so much about the great player popping up all the time. It's about the, the spirit of the game. If you're asking me, what is the game, what does the city of Charleston need as it pertains to the game of basketball? I am. We're talking about we need a midnight basketball league, okay? We need a, 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 a competitive youth league, whether it be three-on-three, five-on-five, fall league, summer league, whatever, okay? I think with the new facility in North Charleston, they have started to have AAU tournaments there. You know, I think if we can have, you know, local teams come together and compete in AAU, I think that's critical. Um, you know, but I think it's just a whole different culture of basketball is what we need, you know. Sure. I like to see midnight basketball back, you know. Um, you know, when you put kids in a position where they're competing against different kids in this city, it's happening everywhere else. It's happening in Houston. It happened in Atlanta, you know, it happens in Charlotte. Right. It's happening. And so if if basketball is important to our city for our youth, then we need to have more platforms that they get to perform on. And it needs to be some positive peer pressure 
Because the kids do what their friends do. That's true. And I know we mad about the phones, and I'm on a tangent about the phones. But they kid their friends on the phone. Right. So that's what they, that's why they're on the phone. Right. They don't go outside as much anymore. They don't go to the gym as much anymore. They're on the phone. So I think we got to present more platforms for the younger kids, you know, youth, 12 and up, 10 and 11 and up, 10 and up. You know, it started early. It might be nine and up. I got a nine-year-old. You got a nine-year-old. Right. It early, nine and up. And give them a platform. Saturday mornings, we're doing this. Uh, and this Friday nights, we got this. You know, and during the summer, we got these academies. I mean, I think that's the only thing I can think of to continue to help our city, uh, you know, perform and have good players coming out with an opportunity to go and maybe play at college, any level, Division Two, Division One, NAIA, uh, Division Three, wherever they can go, but but be a little more serious about basketball in the city. I love to see that. That's what's up. Well, Coach Grant, appreciate your time. You know, thank you for being a guest on, uh, you know, our first episode. Um, look forward to continue to watch you play. You know, big ups to you, man, for being local and doing you doing it and being that example, bro. You know, appreciate I appreciate you in doing that, um, you know, uh, being that being that voice of the city and being that representative. Appreciate you. For yeah, doing I appreciate that. you, man. Yeah, keep up the good work with everything you're doing, too, in the city, man. And I appreciate you having me on. And hopefully we get to connect again soon. Sounds good. Have All a right, baby guy. Appreciate you. All right, man. See you, boy. See you. Yes, sir. The first one in the books. Um, that was Coach Earl Grant talking about the history of things and and where you see basketball is and where we need to do, where we need to go, what we need to do. We're we're talking about bringing midnight basketball back and doing some other things in the program with the city, in the city with the uh, do some other things with the program with the city of Charleston. So uh, stay tuned for that. Coming up next in episode two, we got uh, Dallas Wilson, Reverend Dallas Wilson, uh, who was crucial for the midnight basketball era and crucial for a lot of kids going to school out of this era. All right, so like I said before, without him, it wouldn't be no me. So tune in for episode two as we talk to Reverend Dallas Wilson. Be right back. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Yeah.